I want you to know that here at the Bible Chapel, we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. In its original writings, it is without error. We believe that it is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Over a 1,500-year period through 40 different authors, God breathed, God spoke, God inspired his word to us. His word contains his love for us. It's a love story to us. It shows us how much he loves us. Everything God wants us to know about him is right here in his word. Everything he wants us to know about us is right here in his word. Everything he wants us to know about how to have, how to have a relationship with him right here in his word. And that's why we take God's word so seriously. That's why we believe God's word is so important. And we know this, God's word, because it is God-breathed, has the power to change lives. Several years ago, when Woodrow Crowe was the president and Bible teacher at Back to the Bible, he put his finger on an alarming dilemma. In the land of, 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 of tremendous religious freedom, in a land where 231 million Americans say, I'm a Christian. In a land where 91 million Americans, 29% of the population say, I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe the Bible to be true. I believe it is relevant. I believe it is an error. I believe it is inspired. I believe that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with the living God. I believe he is fully God, fully man. I believe that there is security in my salvation, and I can live in that freedom of security. I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and live with God forever. In this land of 29% of people saying that, Kroll said, why are we making such little impact? We got the word going out. We got Bibles all over the place. Why are we seeing the moral fabric of our country unravel before our eyes? So he started a research arm of Back to the Bible called Center for Bible Engagement. And over the years, they have surveyed over 300,000 people, and they discovered what they called the power of four. The power of four. Not four, but four. Power of four. And they discovered that if a person is engaged in God's Word four or more times a week, their life is changed because of the power. Now, when we say engaging God's word, it doesn't mean I read a couple passages from a devotion and then I check it off. I've done my duty that day. It means to read it, reflect on it, what is God saying, and then respond to it. What does God want me to do, right? Read, reflect, respond. And they found that when people do that, four times a week, power of four, here's what happens. Forget, they didn't measure marriages staying together. They didn't measure better parenting. They didn't measure relationships. They didn't measure that. They, they looked at discipleship things. Person in God's word, four times a week, they share their faith with others 228%, more than those who don't. They disciple others 231% more than those who don't. They memorize scripture 407% more than those who don't. They give financially to the church 416% more than those who don't. 
They give financially outside the church 218% more than those who don't because they're in God's Word. Now, those numbers are, are staggering, aren't they? I mean, could that possibly be true? Maybe that's just researchers playing with numbers. Does interaction with Scripture really change your life to that degree? Does it, does it cause change that significantly? And, and if it does, if it does, how does it do that? How can it make that type of an impact? Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue our study through this fascinating book of Hebrews. Last time we saw the writer paint a picture of an almost Christian, that person who loves to come and sing the songs, hang out at church, interact with people, but they don't have a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the warning of the passage. The promise of the passage was, here's how you get that. Here's how you can have that relationship with the living God. You enter into that rest, that peace through Jesus Christ. The warning and the promise. Now, after giving the warning and the promise, the writer says, here's the reason for the warning and the prophecy. Here's why you need to take the warning so seriously, and here's why you can take that promise to the bank. Look at verse 12. The word for, that word for gives the reason. For the word of God is what? It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then verse 13, I believe, one of the most solemn passages in Scripture, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must, what? Stand before one day and give an account. You ready to do that? To stand before the living God and give your account. Let's go through this passage and see why God's Word will change your life if you're serious about it. For God's Word is living. That means God's Word is relevant. The author of this book is not some dead person who lived many years ago. God is eternal. He is all-knowing. He knew exactly what we needed to hear, whether it was in the B.C. or A.D. God's Word is alive because the author is alive. He always has been and always will be. Now, think of the way our, our country, our, our world has changed over the years. From, from the time of Jesus to 1800s, information traveled as fast as a... Information traveled as fast as a horse, right? Fast as a horse. Think about that. From the time of Jesus to the 1800s, and then... In 1830 came the steam engine, and now information traveled as fast as the iron horse. And then 1844, Samuel Morse, remember him? Famously tapped out that 
message that was sent from Washington to DC, 37 miles from Washington, DC to Mount Clare Station in Baltimore, kicking off the information age. You remember what he wrote? Remember what he tapped out? Numbers 23, 23. What has God wrought? Not a question, but an exclamation point. What has God wrought? Then we went from the telegraph to the telephone to the television. Now the digital age where satellites can connect us around the world in real time. Think about what's happened. How, can, how in the world can this book be relevant when all those changes have taken place? Only because the author is God. He knows the human heart. And whether information is traveling the speed of a horse or in nanoseconds, the human heart still has the same issues. The human heart still has the same challenges. And when we get away from God's word, we live an anchorless life. God's word says right from the beginning that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. While gay marriage might be politically correct and sound really nice in our world today, it does not come from God's inerrant word. It is not part of God's plan. And regardless of what God's word says, man wants to be his own God, right? Man, from Genesis 3, we want to be our own God. We want to, we want to, we want to define our own life. We want to redefine our truth. The very anchor of society is up for grabs now as we see the moral fabric of our country unraveling. I mean, think about what's happened in the last three years. I showed, I sh- just last few years, I showed you this uh, last week, Time Magazine. Uh, here's the Time Magazine cover. Um, I think it's coming up. There it is. Beyond he or she, the redefining of gender. That's the world our kids are growing up in. That's the world we're living in. Here's the, la- here's the latest Time cover asking the question, is truth dead? Because it seems like it. Time's asking a question. Is it dead? And we go back to Scripture, and we say, here is the truth of God's Word. It is our anchor. It is relevant. It speaks to our heart today. Whatever country you're in, whatever stage you're in, God's Word speaks to you. It is relevant because God is eternal. He's the author. He's alive. He knows our heart. Psalm 119, 18 says this, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. John 17, 17, which is a theme verse of the Bible chapel, has been for years. Sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. So you want an anchor. You want something that is relevant. You want something that will speak to your life today. You got to be in God's word. Not only is it relevant, but secondly, it is effective. The word of God is living and active. That Greek word is the word from which we get our English word energy. God's word gives energy. It brings something about. It causes something to happen. When we are in God's Word, seriously in God's Word, not a checklist, but seriously in God's Word, it changes our life. It causes 
something to happen within us. We have to respond. It puts things in our face that we have to deal with. We have to respond to God's word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Here's one for parents and young people. How can a young man or how can a young person keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With all my heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. So we made so much progress today with technology, but really have we made progress. Today, tweens, 8 to 12-year-olds, spend six hours a day in front of a screen, a television screen, a computer screen, or their iPhone, and that's not doing homework. Teenagers, nine hours a day in front of a screen. Probably six hours taking selfies to put on Instagram. (laughs) And adults, isn't that amazing? Because what do we do? We also spend nine hours a day in front of a screen, a television screen, a computer screen, an iPhone. That's why anxiety and depression, and all the social ills are flooding through our country. Look at this, Time Magazine, November 7, 2016. Anxiety, depression, and the modern adolescent. Surrounded by Facebook friends, Instagram friends, but dying inside. Pornography is being pushed to our sons and our daughters. 80% of pornography is free. 80%. And you don't have to go look for it. You guys know this. It comes to you. And some of you moms are saying, oh, Ron, little, my little Tommy, my little Tommy is as pure as the wind-driven snow. And I know a lot of others would do it, but not my little Tommy. You are living in la-la land. (laughs) Absolute naivety, if you believe that. God wired your little Tommy in a way where he is visually, sexually stimulated. Yeah, at 12 years old. And if you think putting a filter on that phone is going to fix everything, then you're naive again because little Tommy knows how to get around the phone more than you do. And he just goes and YouTubes the way around the filter. It's not about filter. It's about the heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By putting filters on his phone. No, by keeping it according to God's word. So how are you leading in that? And how are you leading your children in that? Wives, again, if you don't think your sons, if you don't think your husbands are, have a problem in this area, Again, you're being extremely naive. As the book says, it is every man's battle. 
And you need to be praying for your husband. And you need to be encouraging your husband to get to the men's group. And you need to be encouraging your husband to get in God's Word. By the way, you don't need to be doing that. You need to get him to the men's group. And we'll do that here. Guys, you got to be in God's Word. It is an issue. Young men, let me talk to you. Time Magazine, March 31, 2016. Why young men are advocates of stopping porn. It's not a Christian article. You know why young men are advocates of stopping porn? Because that pornography that they've been looking at since 12 years old is impacting their intimacy, not even with their wives. Again, this is not a Christian, that Christian article. It's called Porn-Induced Erectile Dysfunction. And some of you are more shocked that I just said that <laughs> than you're shocked that it's happening. See, when you go away from God's design, you get in trouble. Diseases. Things don't go as planned. When man does what man wants to do, there are consequences. Men, some of you are killing your marriages with pornography. Young men, some of you are putting your future and your future intimacy in jeopardy. Parents, you got to see what's at stake. And the way that you need, the thing you need to do for yourself and your child is to get them into God's Word in a meaningful way. God's Word changes lives. Filters are fine. I'm not saying don't use filters. But I am saying that's like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's Word. I've hid my Word in your heart that I might not sin against you. God's Word is relevant. God's Word is effective. God's Word is diagnostic. Look at this. God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than any double two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. God's Word is like a surgeon's scalpel. It is a double-edged sword. And the writer here uses these two couplets, soul and spirit, and then joint and marrow. The, the couplets describe the innermost part of a man from the inside out. And, and the joint and marrow describes the substance and nature of a man. And so putting those two couplets together, he's describing the whole person. God's word penetrates to your very soul. It penetrates to who you are. It probes our most innermost part and shows us where, where we are and what we're doing exposes who we really are. By the way, that's why I believe a lot of Christians don't read Scripture. It's not because you don't have time. Anyone miss a meal this past? Anyone say, man, I was so busy this past week, I did not eat one meal. Man, I was just so busy. Anyone? Anyone say I was so busy this week I didn't get into God's Word? See, we don't like to get into it because if we really get into it, 
It tells us where we're messing up. It does for me. It's painful sometimes. If you discovered you had cancer after the shock, some of you lived through this, you would say, what's, what's, what's the deal? What do we do here, doctor, right? I need to, uh, maybe it's surgery and then treatment. How long is it going to be? You, you would begin the remedy. Well, Christians have a cancer of sin in their hearts, and this is the treatment. And yet, you know, we just don't have time. Can you imagine? Yeah, and I was diagnosed with cancer, but I don't have time for the radiation. I don't have time for the chemo. I don't have time for the surgery. So I've done this a long time up here, right? And uh, I, I am not going to uh, manipulate anyone. Anyway. That, that bugs me. But I know how to make you guys clap. You know that? I don't like clapping during sermons. It just weirds me out. And it only takes one person to start clapping, right? And everybody else, eh, I got it. I don't want to, but I have to. But, but I know how to get you to clap. I can talk about things regarding our country and get you to clap. I've seen people who will not stand for a worship song stand for America the Beautiful right here in our service. I love our country. It is the greatest place on the face of the earth. But we're not talking about nationalism. We're talking about being Christocentric, right? Talk about gay marriage. Get you to clap. Social issues. Get you to clap. But I've never heard anyone clap when we talk about gossip. By the way, it's in that same list. No, no breaking out with applause there. I've never heard anyone clap when we talk about having a critical spirit. I've never heard anyone clap when we talk about greed. And I have certainly never had anyone start clapping when I said, today's message is going to be on money. Never. I've had people say, when's the stewardship series over so I can come back to church? Or when is it over because I want to invite a friend? but not during the money talk. 2,000 times money is addressed in Scripture. 2,000 times. Jesus calls it the other God. And yet most Christians don't want to hear about it. Why? You answer that question. We breeze over the first commandment, have no other gods before me, and we feel like we're doing pretty good if we don't have you know, a statue in our front yard or in our dining room until we really read God's Word and learn what an idol is. Tim Keller, in his fantastic book, Counterfeit Gods, notes that anything can be an idol and everything has been an idol. Anything more important, to, here's, how, here's what he says an idol is. Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, what anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. Anything so central and so essential in your life, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly 
worth living. And then he says, here are some idols. And they range in his book from family and children to secure and comfortable circumstances to political and social issues. What's your idol? When you're in God's word, he penetrates and says, here's something you got to check out. Here's something you have to change. That's why most Christians don't want to deal with it because we're too busy doing our own thing, too busy living our own life. God's word is relevant. It's effective. It's diagnostic. It is discerning. It is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. By the way, the heart in Scripture is not that muscle pumping blood through your body. Heart is the center of your mind, emotion, and will. It's the headquarters of your life. And God's Word, when we read it, is able to judge that. It's able to to pass judgment on what we're thinking and, and, and where we're headed and what we're feeling and what we're saying. And what we're doing, it passes judgment on it. That's why it's so critical if we're going to grow in the Christian life to be in God's Word. There is, there's no other substitute. Two books before, or three books before, for, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, all Scripture is, God, is, out, is breathed out by God. 1 Timothy uh, 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's what Scripture does. Here I am going, going down my life, and I mess up. I get off track. I, the Bible t- teaches me first what path to take. So I know I should be going on that track. But then I, I get distracted. And I start getting off. And God says, what, when I'm in God's word, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Why did you get off track? And it rebukes me. It recognizes my sin. It says, you, you've wandered off the right path. What are you doing? And then it says, you need to get back on the right path. It corrects me. Here's how you get back on the right path. Here's the route to go. And then I get on the right track. And it trains me. This is how you stay on the path. And you know what happens tomorrow? The same thing. I get off the path again. And God says, what are you doing? Get back on. Here's how you get back on. Here's how you do. And then what happens on Tuesday? The same thing. But when I'm not in God's word, and I take the detour, I end up where I don't want to go. God's word is discerning. It judges our actions and it gets us back on the right track. How do you know you're on the wrong path if you're not reading the map that tells you where the path is? Last one. God's word is, by the way, by the way, some of you say, you know, I... I I'd love to read God's Word, but, you know, I'm not seminary or Bible school trained, and I don't know the Greek and Hebrew. Well, I got to tell you, they're they're publishing these things in English now. (laughs) Gutenberg, man. Amazing. It's an amazing thing. Right there in our own language. It's pretty cool. Okay. God's Word is revealing. 
Look at Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden in his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's a, t- that's a tough one, isn't it? The word naked is not what we think of. It, it, means, it means nothing to cover. I have nothing to cover myself. Um, uh, when, I, when I go before God, I have nothing that can be used to hide. Remember Adam and Eve, they tried to hide in the garden? Can't hide from God. The word exposed means that which can easily be known, uh, that which can easily be known. So, so I'm exposed. God has, God has made known my heart. Uh, the word account is the Greek word logos, word. It means word or, or, or message. And the focus is the content of the message, the content of uh, the statement, making a statement. That's what it means. No creature is hidden in God's sight, but all of us have nothing to cover ourselves with. The things that we need to know are made known before the eyes of him to whom we're going to give a statement one day. And you know what the con- content of that statement is going to be? You know what the content of the statement is going to be? You're writing it today. You're filling in the lines. God's word changes life. That's why you got to be in God's word. When I read this verse, I think of, I think of two things. First, I think the author is completing his thought in Hebrews chapter four, telling us that here's the warning and here's the promise. And here's why it's so important. Because God's word is true. And secondly, it just reminds us, guys, get in God's word. Hear from him. Your life can be changed because one day you're going to give an account to him. How how will we justify neglecting his word? God, I just didn't have time. How will we justify ignoring the idols in our life? Seriously? I had trouble with that? Yeah, I would have told you had you been in my word. How will we justify apathy toward obedience on that day? On the other hand, if you want to get serious about real life change, do you? It's up to you. If you want to get serious about sharing your faith, if you want to get serious about your addictions, if you want to get serious about your relationships, If you want to get serious about using God's money, God's way, then you have to be in God's word, period, the end. There is no substitute. No therapist is going to do that for you. No counselor is going to do that for you. There's no other book that's going to do that for you. It's this book, God's word. It changes lives. One more verse. One more passage. Isaiah 55 For the rain and the snow come down from earth and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Then verse 11, so shall my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me, what? 
empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. An amazing verse. God's word is not going to come back void. It's not going to come back empty. He sends it out, and it's going to accomplish in your life the very thing he sent it out to do. If you're reading his word. Father, we just have to make that decision. We know where the Bible plans are. We know where the Bible apps are. We just got to make the decision that your word is truly living and active, that you really inspired it, that it really does change our life, and that we're really going to get serious about spending meaningful time in your word. Father, for some, I, our prayer is give us the desire to have the desire to read your word. Because there's some here who don't even have the desire for that. Others who feel convicted, Lord, give us the plan to read your word, the, the commitment to say, okay, I'm going to get this done. I'm not going to put it off. Got to be in God's word. Do your work, Lord, in our hearts. The ball is in our court, and we know that. And we need your help because we want to hear from you every day of our life. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.